Miata, hello. My name is Alison and I pastor a little church in southwest Victoria called Sanctuary. And we're based on Pequon country in Warrnambool. Today I'm reflecting on Jesus' distillation of Torah down to two commandments. And you'll find the text in Matthew chapter 22 verses 34 to 46. Perhaps you've seen the movie about a boy, which is really about two boys or maybe more. One is 12-year-old Marcus, who is growing up in precarious circumstances. And the other is the beautifully named Will Freeman. Will is a man-child whose wealth has insulated him from other people and from life itself. Yet through one of his most selfish decisions, he's thrown into the path of young Marcus, and Marcus begins to make demands on him. Now, Will is not best pleased, shall we say, especially when things develop and he is challenged to take responsibility for this relationship. No man is an island, intones one friend. Oh, she's right, you know, says the uber-cool waiter standing over them. No, she's not. She's wrong, shouts Will. Some men are islands. I'm a bloody island. I'm bloody Ibiza. Well, paradoxically, perhaps I was reminded of this scene by today's story. Jesus is teaching in the temple when some Pharisees come to test him. Which commandment in the Torah is the greatest, they ask. And he replies, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, says Jesus, hang all the law and the prophets. Now, there's a tendency among some Christians to portray Jesus as a friendly, harmless, spineless sort of chap, someone with boundary issues, and perhaps because that's about as deep as they have ever gone with love. But when Jesus talks love, he's not referring to mild benevolence, nor is he referring to a warm feeling which might wash over someone, or a personal preference, or something which just happens to us. It's not passive, and it's not smushy. Instead, Jesus describes love as a commandment. It's a decision. It's an action. It's an orientation towards God and others that we choose. But what decisions or what actions are loving? Well, in today's text, Jesus describes love as the linchpin of the law and the prophets. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he sets out what fulfilling the law and prophets, i.e. love, actually looks like. That is, it's the work of justice and peacemaking, and the work of confession and reconciliation. It's sticking at committed relationships through thick and thin. It's speaking truthfully, without prevarication. It's refusing to retaliate when we are attacked, and choosing instead to love and pray for our enemies. And it's sharing our material possessions so that everyone can thrive. And you'll find this all set out in Matthew chapters 5 and 6. Now love like this is deeply countercultural, Seeking justice, working for peace, speaking truth to power, refusing to retaliate and wanting the best for our enemies. This all requires wholehearted commitment and courage. The Israel-Palestine conflict or any situation of colonisation 
reveals just how demanding this work is, especially for those with little to no power. Indeed, there's nothing meek and mild about this sort of love. And Jesus himself, the epitome of love, is passionate and even angry at times. He overturns the tables of the money changers in the temple. He confounds the legalistic game playing of religious leaders. He publicly rebukes those who abuse their privilege and do not place love at the centre of their lives. He embodies an assertive and sometimes formidable presence as he touches and heals vulnerable people, rebukes and casts out demons, names difficult truths, and challenges the powerful to turn towards the precarious and thus towards God. None of this, not even the anger, is incompatible with love. Instead, it shows that Jesus is deeply involved with people. He cares, he grieves, he reaches out, he goes into new territories, he encounters new people. He is frustrated and angry by stone-cold hearts, and he extends himself again and again and again for the sake of stranger, enemy and friend. And through it all, he holds on to the love that he knows to be true, even as it leads to conflict, persecution and the cross. There is nothing half-hearted about him. And this wholehearted, loving extension of himself is what he demands from us. From time to time, I am asked why the church is falling apart. There are many reasons, but one I think is wealth and the absence of love that this all too often means. Of course, there's the gross institutional wealth which can utterly corrupt and divide. But at a congregational level, particularly in a place like Sanctuary, which has almost no assets, our challenge is the wealth of the Australian middle class. For all of the cost of living grumbles, we live in great prosperity. We have our own houses and gardens and often multiple cars. We go on intercity, interstate and overseas trips. We have devices and streaming services galore. We eat three times a day and feed our pets well and have access to decent health care. It's a caricature with a grain of truth to say that when we need reassurance, we don't call a friend. We pay for professional counselling. And so much more than we like to admit, we live for the most part independently. Our wealth means that we don't need each other in urgent, material, daily ways to share what we have to survive. And the things that wealth buys, the privacy, the travel, the streaming services, the counselling, these things can distract us from our hunger for connection and insulate us from relationships. Like Will in About a Boy, we could be bloody Ibiza. And when I leave and sanctuary as we know it closes, the easy path will be to retreat even further into private life. It will be to walk away from deeper connection with the wider church. It will be to stick with familiar folk who are very much like ourselves, to pray in comfortable, well-worn ways, and to avoid the demands of anyone much outside family or professional relationships. 
But the Jesus we meet in Matthew's account requires much more from us. He calls us to get involved in other people's lives in uncomfortable and self-giving ways. He expects that we will stand with those who need a friend and speak up to those who would destroy them. He asks us to reach beyond human boundaries to bring together the precarious, the stranger, the weak, the shame, the possessed and even the religious, drawing them into ever-widening circles of care. And to those who think all this is optional, Jesus is clear. There is no difference between this work and the wholehearted love of God. Love of God and love of neighbour, especially the precarious and the vulnerable, are inseparable. The final scene in About a Boy finds Will in his apartment, and he's flopped on a couch with his feet up. It's Christmas. In former years, he spent the day getting drunk and stoned and watching old movies alone. And here, Frankenstein is on the telly, and Will raises a beer to his lips. But as the shot pans out, we see that this year, things are different. Around him, half a dozen people are bustling. Where formerly he was alone, now he has a tribe. There's young Marcus and a beloved, and some profoundly irritating new friends, and even a virtual stranger who he's invited to the meal. Will has risen to the challenge. He's let his heart be cracked open by the demands and needs of others. It was slow. It was painful, even humiliating at times. It hurt like hell, and he still has a very long way to go. But right now he's being called, for dinner is ready. The banqueting table of heaven awaits. Loving God, pray that you will turn us towards others, crack our hearts wide open, and induct us into the ways of your love. Amen. There's always more to read on our website, that's sanctuarybaptist.org. And this week you'll find some words on the great cloud of witnesses, which cheers us on. This reflection was prepared on the lands of the Pequong people of the East Ma Nation, a land which was taken by force and has never been ceded. I pay my respects to Elders past and present. The peace of the land, waterways and skyways, be with us all. Amen.